This is The New Right, a podcast for the lost arts, reclaiming the literary holy land from the heathen. This is Matt Pegas. And this is Dan Baltic. And uh, we're back with another <laughs> Matt and Dan solo episode. Our first, well, our first in, in a minute. Uh, I think we've both been busy with various projects. You did a great episode with White Boy Summer. Thank you, ago, thank you. Unfortunately, it was on. What's his first name? A little uh, yeah. Max Teller. Max Teller. And uh, yeah, yeah, a little shout out for White Boy Summer here. They are producing apparel that uh, is very cool. People on our side like to wear the, the Pepe hats. They like to wear the Nut Army Elite shirts. We know that because um, we're selling out. There's very few left. That's true. You got to get your... It, it is, yeah. yeah, it's absolutely true. Not just because I'm buying them, but uh, other people have purchased that <laughs> Army Elite shirts as well. So, uh, yeah, no, definitely check out White Boy Summer. Yeah, no, totally. I was, uh, you know, unfortunate that I had to miss that, but I think we both had a lot going on. Uh, Dan, you're going to be out here in LA next week, and we're going to be doing an event. Um, and uh, I think by the time we post this, I hope that we have a good poster up and other details. It's been a little slow absolutely coming, as sometimes i've learned helping set up these events they kind of come together last minute but one way or another we will be doing something uh i'm going to say this friday the 16th i'll probably post this in a few days uh so if you're in, in la come out the, the info on this will be on all of our twitters um and it's going to be free and it's going to be a lot of fun um but absolutely today we're going to be talking about insane clown posse icp uh and this episode is um it's a little while in the works i think it started last summer i was in detroit briefly and uh insane clown policy is also from detroit i posted just really a impulse tweet i was like i'm in detroit this is my favorite insane clown policy track in case you ever wondered which i doubt anyone ever has um which is the song pass me by from the great malenko um and i'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that album and maybe that song Later on, but Dan, you basically responded and were like, oh, I didn't even realize you were in ICP. We should do an episode someday. Is that the genesis of this? That's the genesis I, I forgot of this. about that. Last July. But, uh, yeah. yeah, no, we have been talking about it for a while. And uh, yeah, no, I mean, ICP is, it's interesting because it's like, it's a cross-generational thing almost. Like, Oh, it is. I was introduced to it when I was 12. So yeah, you were like, just you know being born <laughs> yeah, well i'm not that much older than me but yeah i guess we, we, we yeah you know not to age docs if that's a thing <laughs> i don't know if that's a thing for men it is for women but um what year were you 12 it was just like 90 so i was yeah. 12 i mean i was born in 86 so i was 12 in 98 yeah so that would have been you know I, okay so another you know some 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 background matter here um dan you obviously know a good amount about icp you got in you know you, you were introducing that 12 um but for this episode, I sort of uh, when well, I tr I attempted to go above and beyond. Um, I, I kind of joke with Dan that I was going to send as many notes, which in, the, in that case it was about twenty pages, single space, uh, that I'd sent for the Costa Nalamariu, uh the Birth of Philosophy episode. I didn't quite take that many notes, but I put a lot of time and I listened to um, Violent J, uh, who's one of the two members of Insane Clown Posse. I listened to his entire autobiography. Um, audiobook that he narrated it's on internet archive it's actually highly recommended it's very entertaining and and as we'll get to i think has some genuinely good stuff for people in this oh, absolutely consider it anyhow 
I, I listened to the entirety of that. I also am a total completionist, just kind of in the way I approach everything. And I attempted to listen to all of ICP's music. I only got to about 2015 because, you know, you have to take it in small chunks. Um, but I'm well on my way um, to having heard all of it. And they have a quite extensive, um, they have quite an extensive, uh, you know, um, they have quite an extensive 30 years of music. So I, lots of preparatory work for this episode. And I, I circle back to what I was going to say, which is that, um, so yeah, 1998, that would have been basically the, yeah, really the height of their, um, so it's hard to say with ICP because they've had so many different sort of phases of their career. And in many ways, they came into the truest fruition of their influence, like five to 10 years ago, I would say. Um, okay. But in terms of, um, you know, in terms of the gathering of the juggalos, in terms of, Everyone, because everyone knows who they are now. Um, yeah. But anyway, 1998 was pretty much, um, I believe, yeah, uh, Great Malenko came out in 97. I mean, yeah, Malenko was yeah, the yeah. first one I listened to. Right, and that's the first one. So anyway, that was the that was the pinnacle. That was the moment where it most seemed like they could go mainstream. Or in certain sense, they, they've never been mainstream music. If they were listening to this now, they would, they would reject any notion that they ever would have even flirted with that. I just mean that was the time... Um, when they were closest to the sun, um, Great Malenko was almost released on Hollywood Records, ended up released on Island Records uh, due to some basically censorship issues. They ended up playing Woodstock 99 the year after that in 1998. So mm. that was the sort of the apogee of like um, sort of rap metal in the culture. And I think ICP sort of benefited from... Um, being comparable to that i mean if they're not new metal they're not really metal in any sense but they're sort of slightly rock influenced horror themed yeah for anyone who doesn't know uh, and they're white guys <laughs> so i think they probably would have been mentioned um somewhat in the same breath as um like the corns and the limp biscuits of the world at that time and again yeah that was the closest uh that they ever came to kind of having a more mainstream audience and i'm sure a lot that was the first time they came across a lot of people's radars um whether it was just sort of kids at that time or um the music press this sort of thing so yeah you got into them in 98 um i got into yeah solidly i got them in, i got into them in 2008 so okay. exactly 10 years later i mean i don't know what the date was obviously but i mean i know for me i don't know when you got into them for me that uh it was it was um it was fall of 2008 because it was the fall going into eighth grade which is the perfect time to discover insane clown posse um okay yeah i was roughly the same age I, I was um i guess i was 13 in 2008 um so yeah a bit older um but you were kind of before we got on you were telling me about like your initial uh impression so why don't you tell us a little bit about that like what that was like as a 12 year old uh who it was that introduced you to and how it uh kind of evolved so when you're like 12 or 10 whatever i feel like that's the age where you're kind of first discovering music so to kind of set the scene, when I was 10, it was 96, when I was 12, it was 98. So, was, you know, you're just kind of like figuring out, oh, well, what is a guy who's like me? And you don't really like have a sense of who you are when you're 12, but you're like, yeah. what should I be listening to? What? Is, and you're like, oh, I'm a white guy, you know, whatever. What's my, my, my vibe? What's my right. thing? Right. So I remember, you know, initially, like, I'm like, Oh, this is a 
I, I'm supposed to like rock. Um, what's popping? So I remember listening to Hootie and the Blowfish and Wow, being I don't like think that's very. the most common uh, one to start with, <laughs> but go on. well, keep in mind, <laughs> this was like 96 or oh, so, yeah. 97. No, I wouldn't even know. Yeah, yeah, Like yeah. they were very popular at the time. Yeah. So that uh, like the spin doctors, some other stuff like very, you know, and I remember and I, you know, shortly I, it's to, to skip ahead, you know, would be to, you know, discuss, I got into Marilyn Manson, Yeah. I got into Metallica, all of that. But actually between that and, um, you know, and Hootie and the Blowfish, there's the shocking uh, introduction of the insane clown posse because Yeah. I, my friend, he, um, he gave me one of their, they had CDs back then, gave me one of their CDs. Right. And, um, We actually may have even been a cassette and we were listening to it. And I remember just being like, you know, I was 12, whatever. And the lyrics, the rap, it was just so like, so obscene, so violent, so in your face. And it was just the furthest thing in the world from Hootie and the Blowfish. And I remember just having my mind like blown by this, um, by the insane clown posse. And, Right. <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I listened to Malenko. I bought That maybe was the one album. or It two was a great of, Malenko. yeah, it was the Yep. great Malenko. And I listened to one or two of their other albums. It never, probably for the reasons you're discussing, like they kind of almost made it through to the mainstream, but were branded as like, this is, silly this is gross this is white trash whatever Definitely white trash, yeah. so Definitely that's how it's perceived. i <laughs> yeah. yeah so i went on to you know get into um you know manson and from there metallica and real like you know heavy metal kind of source of, of sorts kind of sourceship queensryche um you know 80s all sorts of 80s metal megadeth you know whatever Yeah. judas priest and also rap because that was very popular in the early 2000s and you know you have to listen to what's popular No, and sure, i kind yeah. of left icp behind People, and most people do, yeah. Uh, if they get into them at all, they leave them behind and pretend they never had anything. That was the case, at least your generation and mine. I, I have an opinion that it has quite possibly changed, although I'd have to be in high school or something to know. Uh, I think they're regarded differently now. I think they're treated... Good. They Yeah, should be. good. I think I think they're um, regarded with a, a large degree of humor. And we'll get into kind of how that their image has changed, basically, uh, to a considerable degree. And people have nostalgia for them. Um, I think Yeah. especially the music they make now lends itself really well to like the kind of um, absurdity of meme culture. And I know you had a talking point about that. Let's get to that later. Yeah. Um, I think that time has sort of I, I will say, like, I think not only have they aged well as an act in terms of evolving towards a more sort of meme friendly um, Gen Z approved kind of um shtick but um but i think their older music has has aged kind of well too at least in some sense um but to keep us grounded for now in the 90s and early 2000s um this is really one of the first large points i wanted to make i mean i they really you know they call themselves so friend of the pod um naglin j taylor uh, has a thesis on 
mm. Juggalos. And I haven't read it in its entirety, but I, I found it and I read a little bit of it. I read the beginning. She, the, the the her first line is, uh, and, and this is you know I, I was aware of this beforehand too. You know, ICP often refers to themselves as the most hated band in the world, and mm-hmm. um, you know they they may well be or may well have been at a certain point. Um, they were maligned in a truly deep way. This was my perception in the in suburban Philadelphia where I was might've been a little different in, in Brooklyn where you are, uh, or in New York. I don't know. Sorry. I, I don't think it's doxable anymore. No, it's fine. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You're talking about Brooklyn. All um, do our perceptions, you know, city versus suburbs may be a little different on this, but from my perspective, they were really and truly maligned in a way that no other music act um, was maligned. People hated my generation. People hated like Justin Bieber, but that was, but he has he had as many fans as haters. Like Insane Clown Posse was like, no, like don't don't admit that. It was almost. I mean, this is a stretch, but not as much of a stretch as as you might think. It would, being a, a juggalo would almost be like saying like, yeah, I kind of like the KKK. Like, I mean, I really <laughs> think it was that level of like you would be seen as that level of trash. Uh, yeah. Maybe I maybe I exaggerate a bit because I obviously always knew one or two juggalos throughout high school, and I, I certainly didn't know any KKK people. But like it, it was it was a real like. I can't really fuck with you if you're if you're into this kind of yeah. Um, again, I think that's changed, but that was um, that was very much my perception and, and something that and you said that also want, triggered me to want to say this. Like, yeah, you get into Manson. I was a huge Manson fan as well, and still am. Um, and other acts like that, and they're like, in terms of the content of their lyrics and the, even their appearance in certain ways, they're not like night and day difference with ICP but was interesting about the degree to which ICP was aligned maligned it wasn't just like oh mainstream audiences hate them it was like a lot of people were like yes I like 80s metal and I like Manson and uh, and all this stuff but let me be clear I am not a juggalo I do not like insane clown boss there's a lot of um kind of yeah. narcissism of small not even narcissism of small differences but like a lot of um subcultural drawing lines in the sand like people who like stuff that sounded an awful lot like ICP would be like but no, fuck those guys. And I, I don't exactly. I think a lot of it has to do with their fan. You know, for people who don't know, who maybe listen to this, you know, the ICP's massive and dedicated, almost cult-like, and I don't mean that in a negative sense in this case. Uh, following uh, are called Juggalos, and I think a lot of them maligning of ICP um, beyond people just genuinely not liking them or, or thinking they're dumb. Um, was was a, a total fear of, of being lumped in um, with juggles yeah. is my perception. Yeah, how was... So yeah, in my perspective growing up, suburban Philadelphia, friends from Boy Scouts, friends from wherever, um, you know, hated ICP and then thought it was trash. But then I but I always did know like a few juggalos and it was like, that, but that like perpetuated the identity. It was like, you know, the more one side yeah. of the aisle hated, the more the other side of the aisle embraced. Um, that was very much a thing. I... Um, to give my little side, because you kind of mentioned who got you into a very Absolutely. similar origin story. Like, um, I won't even get too far into this. I've written about it and plan to write about it more. I was in cyber school in middle school. So this was all done over an internet forum. But I met this, this, we were doing like introductions at the beginning of eighth grade. Um, and this guy, his name is, I'm just going to like, uh, quote unquote dox him because if you can find him, I'm, if anyone out there can find him, I would love to hear how he's doing. His name was Paul Brown. So I've never, even though I'm like obsessively look up people from my past that I was friends with, I've never been able to find this guy, sadly. But yeah, Paul Brown from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, got me into ICP. Never someone I met in person. Again, I was cyber schooled 
on the internet forum, but I became friends with this guy. Mm. The fir- first day of uh, pretty much, yeah, basically first day of school, he he puts on like the internet social forum that we all socialized on and then proceeded to email each other kind of IM style. Um, he says, uh, by way of introduction, he says, I like insane clown posse. Um, I'm also a juggalo and like Fago. And I was like, I didn't know what any of those three things meant. Uh, yeah. They basically all meant the same thing. <laughs> Fago, of course, being the um, you soda know, uh, discount wow. Detroit based soda um, that comes in all kinds of weird flavors. Um, and that is a is absolute um, cultural signifier of juggalodom. I was going to crack a joke at the beginning of this. I'm drinking a LaCroix. Which mm-hmm. I believe is also bottled. I, I believe as, also as am I, Matt. Yeah, and, and Dan is too. And listen, and Lacroix also comes in similar to Fago. Lacroix comes in different color, all kinds of different crazy uh, colors and um, tastes, flavors. Uh, so I remember a meme circa like 2016 that uh, Lacroix is basically Fago for people who listen to Iron and Wine. Um, <laughs> who can <laughs> deny funny. it? Um, and it is bottled in Michigan too. So I, I do like that little uh, similarity. But anyhow. So I look up um, after Paul Brown posts this. I look up uh, Insane Clown Posse. I used to listen to all of my music because I we had like um you know severe web restrictions on our school issued computers, but we had an iTunes library, so I'd listen to everything like thirty seconds at a time samples. So that was how I first heard Insane Clown Posse was thirty seconds at a time. Interesting. Um, yeah, and uh, I definitely didn't. I, I wasn't. Um, I I think I'd already been. Had I. Maybe not. I, I'd already. I'm trying to think of this timeline. You know, I'd had some exposure to like the Marilyn Mansons of the world, so I wasn't um, shocked. Totally shocked. I heard things of a similarly ribald nature, but what was really striking to me was the sound. Like I couldn't tell if it was rock or rap or something totally different. I mean, they were basically yeah. described as hip hop, but they they sounded very very different. Um, I couldn't place it. That was more my perception. Like I couldn't place it sonically and still can't perhaps it still very much is its own thing. They have some songs that are kind of rap in a straightforward sense, but most of it is um, really its own genre. And even the other bands on their record label, psychopathic records uh, for the most part are, are like more straightforwardly rap than them. Um, ICP is kind of its own theatrical thing. Yeah. I mean, that's um, one of the things that yeah. struck me most when I first heard it. It's, you know, it's both a song, but um, usually a story. Has, yeah, it has a story element, sometimes even like a skit type thing that Often. leads into yeah. it, like a short like radio play. And this is as we were talking offline before we started. This is right on the heels of the popularity of uh, groups like the Jerky Boys, who in the 90s had albums where they just prank called people. So before people had like cell phones where you showed people's numbers and you like would just not answer if it was, you know, some fake number you actually, you know, you couldn't see that. And, you know, someone called you, you just would generally answer the phone because you want to know who it is. There was much less telemarketing. So this group, the Jerky Boys, would um, do these elaborate prank calls and record them. I don't know to what extent they were ever sued. They probably were sued quite a bit. 
and but they were very popular gold yeah. selling albums platinum selling albums and so this kind of style of like telling a story and um saying in kind of like a, a dry tone just landing these outrageous lines which is kind of like they so like the uh icp yeah. songs will sometimes mimic a format where you're like it's like the violent j talk show or something yes so maybe often. that's not in yeah yeah maybe yeah. that's not an actual song but that's like the general there's like, one called the shaggy show yeah okay yeah <laughs> something like that and so you have them like delivering these skits delivering these kind of like comic lines mixed with the music mixed with rap and so this is something that you know when i first heard it i'm like oh this is really different especially to someone who really hadn't heard a lot of music at that point but i think it stands the test of time because now i'm god so 12 um I am 25 years later, Matt, I um, still have not really heard stuff that's very much like it. Um, It's it remains in my mind, a sort of amalgam of comedy, music, and uh, well, I guess, yeah, comedy and music, but within music, rap, rock, you know, what and storytelling. um, Yeah. And to that, I would add, um, so one thing, listening to the autobiography of Violent J, it's called Behind the Pain. Um, <clears throat> the you know, and I knew some of this before listening to it because I've I, again been listening to ICP uh, somewhat on and off since I was thirteen. Um, mm-hmm. But he talks a lot about their their kind of formative influences, which were not obviously hip hop and obviously, actually, I was about to say rock, but honestly, they don't talk about rock too too much. Maybe like a tiny bit about Guns and Roses. Um, but mm-hmm. but their influences much by <clears throat> their main influences musically are are hip hop uh, the ghetto boys mm-hmm. NWA we'll talk a little bit about that sure. but um but beyond the music stuff um they um were have been wrestling obsessives kind of their whole lives they even had a stint while they were on WWE might have been called WWF at the time I, I don't know when that switch was made um mm-hmm. but they, they had a stint on that um and then whatever the whatever the wwe's main competitor league was they, they did a stint WCW. there too. wcw yep they um they did a stint there i think a little bit later uh and this was partially because they're notoriously um cantankerous i guess to work with <laughs> they do things their own way i think they ended up making some not maybe not enemies but you know i think getting on wwe was a was a dream for them and then they were asked to do one or two things or one or two promises weren't upheld and they had to jump ship to the other league where they were, they probably all eventually also sort of burned out on it. And now they have their own, um, I think it's called J JCW juggalo championship wrestling. They have their own. Oh my God. I didn't know that. Um, That's crazy. Wrestling league. And it's taken, it's not just like some weird small thing. It's taken pretty seriously. Um, friend of the pod, Lewis, Justin, um, I actually, well, I guess we never did a new write up. So, but I've done a personal, uh, podcast with him um he's the founder of massacre video um is is a big uh he's a michigan guy and he's a big um nice jcw fan i mean it's it's a serious people who are into indie wrestling it's um it's not like some weird gimmick in saying clown posse like it's a legit thing associated with icp and psychopathic records so anyway wrestling and the sort of pageantry and um storylines and scenarios of wrestling um, not to mention the characters of wrestling um, had a huge 
influence on ICP. And you can see that and hear that in the music. Um, another thing a lot is that that's an influence on them, but also it's a, it's a totally Detroit thing. And we're going to have to talk a bit about that in Detroit on this episode. Um, mm. even so, and uh, we could, we're jumping all around, but the, the, I, I knew that this part would be like that. It's inevitable, right? Um, Absolutely. ICP Detroit. I, I've always been fascinated by Detroit. Um, not that I'm saying I would not that I'm some like, suburban poser who like is gonna say i'm gonna move to to the grit and grime of detroit to leave a more authentic life nothing like that i just i think the cultural products that have come out of it specifically within rap and and rock to an extent too are absolutely fascinating eminem is by far the most famous example um i don't know we could go on a rabbit hole talking about eminem versus icp i'm sure you're aware they had a feud Mm, and um yeah we could get into that it's kind of an interesting topic but no doubt Eminem was influenced by ICP. Uh, yeah. And, and that's an interesting thing because uh, Eminem is, the, I believe, the 10th uh, most streamed artist in the world for 2023 uh, on Spotify. And I don't know how that translates to numbers, but it's like, I don't know, I suppose, you know, hundreds and hundreds of millions, if not even bigger number uh, of streams, you know, like just massive uh, um, artist ICP, more like, you know they're well known but but not nearly so stream but you know undoubtedly yeah. icp influenced eminem this rapper isham who actually massacre video again lewis Justin's company um who distributed tfw and ogf as well as a lot of exploitation films um just did an interview with isham because they're kind of detroit based and he's a very interesting underground hip-hop figure also very influential influential on eminem very influential on icp and 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 collaborated on their on a lot of their early work i'm saying all this to say um i i oh and of course kid rock is the other name that must be mentioned here um is a Mm. detroit guy and violent j in the book so obviously the wrestling thing has always been a juggalo uh an icp fascination of the members um, but even just within Detroit in general, uh, Violent J in the book says that the vibe was always like they were these professional wrestlers. So Isham was like the first, like, you know, and you were talking about before the we got on the recording, Dan, like other sort of horror core, quote unquote. Yeah. I know that that label is often rejected by jugglers, but whatever. Um, it's kind of a mainstream music press label, but it, you know, it, it's helpful. A lot, a lot of other horror core acts. Isham was, was basically by any reasonable standard, the first horror core act. He was the okay black devil he called himself um you basically satanic uh rap um or, or horror themed rap um so that was one character and then kid rocks thing back then because kid rock people don't some people may not realize this uh he's kind of more or less a, a pop country singer now oh yeah but he started as a i was a white rapper like he started yeah. very much and um one of the tracks i put on the playlist that i sent to you and then i'll link i made a spotify playlist of my preferred icp tracks um first proper album from icp their first what they call their first joker's card um has a very interesting collaboration with an early kid rock um, oh i didn't that's know that too for anybody interested in pop cultural history but this was back when kid rock was a straight up uh you know, wigger rapper basically. Um, yeah. And uh, so anyway, Violent Chase said, like, I, and his, at that time, and this is still kind of how Kid Rock is, his thing was like that he was like a redneck. And so he'd like yeah. come out on the stage, like on a tractor with a piece of straw hanging out of his mouth. Point being, the professional wrestling rap thing was always connected. That, you know, I'm being long winded here, but I believe I got onto this topic because you were talking about the different influences on ICP. There's storytelling, there's comedy. Um, yeah, there's um, obviously rap and rock, um, but it's also, yeah, 
professional wrestling pageantry. The last thing I want to mention in this regard is they also, and this was not delved deeply into the book, but I think it's hugely, hugely, hugely influential um, on their mythos because, again, whatever one thing I'll, I'll say as a general note, like whatever um, one thinks they know about ICP, uh, it's always, I feel like the world that they kind of created is always a bit bigger and more vast than you realize. Um, yeah. Kind of business managed their whole thing. And it's always, but another aspect is there's like an entire storyline um, that encapsulates their entire career. Kind of like there's a storyline on wrestling. It's, you know, soap opera esque where, um, they have, but but the other influential piece here I want to bring up is Dungeons and Dragons. Um, they were mm. super into that as teenagers. That plays into their mythos very much. Um, their mythos is basically called the the Dark Carnival, mythos, <laughs> which I, I realize this sounds probably stupid uh, to to uh, you know someone who is not likely to be a fan. Um, but nevertheless, it's very well thought out. Um, in on the on their the, their first six major albums um, were considered the first deck of quote jokers cards they have since started a second deck of jokers cards i think they've made released five of six everything that they release is part of an ongoing saga which is an aspect so, i really like of their music it's very fun go on i think this might be a good uh, moment to underscore their marketing efforts and the way they've engaged in a sort of world creation yes uh, that has yielded not only sales but uh the juggalos an actual you know group of people who identify as yes fans of icp but it's become like a genuine subculture and this is all you know rooted in i mean their their marketing but also yeah. you know, creative decisions that you know have uh you know fueled that marketing so a band you know you can make music and distribute you know you, you have a distributor you you know whatever you focus on the songs right you focus right. on i'm gonna make the best songs the catchiest songs and maybe you give some thought like oh i'm gonna come out on stage wearing uh x y or z right. but they decided to you know not only like we're gonna wear clown makeup we're gonna, you know, constantly throughout our songs reference our fans, call them the Juggalos. Yeah. We're going to make a local uh, soft drink brand, Fago, synonymous with our brand, right. which leads to, you know, inevitable, um, you know, partnership opportunities. Beyond that, we're going to think about our albums, not in terms of like, this album is one album, then who knows when the next one. No, we're going to call them the first deck of the Joker's cards. Right. And each and, one is a separate yeah. Joker's card. And so they, in their creative, their music-making decisions, their creative decisions imbued within them was a genius marketing plan, which created an army. Absolutely, yeah, like the, the nut army of, of yesterday, right? <laughs> I, I may be drawing a, a slight parallel to the uh, the nut army of Dan Baltic yeah. and uh, Nutcranker, but uh, yeah, I won't <laughs> I won't emphasize that too much. All hail the nut army! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can spray Lacroix on them at our reading. But... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, no, absolutely. This was one of the major 
takeaways I had. And something I sort of already understood about ICP coming in, but especially after reading the autobiography or listening to the autobiography, it was very much like they really can put their money where their mouth is. Um, they are a genuine rags to riches, Amer very American uh, independent business success story. Which is rare, you know. We all know that that's rare. It's a, it's it's valorized as a, as a possibility, um, but it doesn't happen for most people. It really, especially, doesn't happen in the arts. Um, and I know people are like, well, lots of like Britney Spears to an extent. Obviously, the aforementioned Eminem. Like a lot of people, sort of get big and become so so wealthy after growing up in relative poverty. Mm. Um, but those people were discovered, and what. And I mean, you know, this is maybe I'm drinking the ICP Kool Aid or Fago uh, too much here, but but I think that the you know the the facts speak for themselves. Um, you know, Violent J will say again and again and again they never got discovered. Um, they worked with some major labels late in the '90s, um, but that was always just to kind of boost distribution to 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 an extent. They were selling so many albums, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of albums independently, that of mm. course a major label was going to take notice. Um, there was never a moment of like, no one ever said, these guys are going to be the next big thing. Um, you know, I think yeah. there some people in the music industry who believed in them, but it was never a discovery situation. It was always a, let's, it was always a collaboration with the more mainstream element to sell units, but they, you know, they, they've always been rooted in doing things again. It's going to sound like I'm drinking the Kool-Aid here, but, but I think the facts speak for themselves. If you look at their career, they've always done things exactly their way. Um, they, yeah. and, and record companies have been a detriment to them as much or more as they have been a help. Um, I think this stuff is interesting from like an arts business standpoint. Um, no, let me, let me back up a, a half step here. Uh, you know, in, in the book, some of those entertaining chapters are them kind of talking about their early, early album releases. Uh, the first Joker's card, Carnival mm. of Carnage, second, uh, the Ringmaster, both of which are still, you know, very much very, very appreciated, um, you know, some people don't like their early stuff as much, quote unquote. But for the most part, like these are considered absolute classics, especially the Ringmaster. And um, th this was all independently released and and maybe more importantly, independently promoted. Um, some of the most entertaining chapters and, and little sound bites are about, uh, you know, the early members of the band because um, they are a duo. Maybe should have been said at the top, but but earlier in their career, um, there was there was kind of more people involved. And they've always had like a business manager. Who's literally just literally just the guy who owned the record store that sold their first albums. This was back in the day when you had to like actually take your albums to a record store and like make your own distribution deal with an individual yeah. store. The first person who does that for them becomes is Alex Abbas, who becomes the CEO of Psychopathic Records up through 2006 and basically gets wealthy with them. Very interesting. Um, so anyway, this is all sort of independently promoted and, and created stuff. And they're just spending hours and hours in Kinko's. Um, th that that's some of the most entertaining tidbits is about all this time they spent in Kinko's learning how to mm -hmm. edit stuff you can do on your computer in two seconds, something that you can even have AI do now. This was, you know, they just they they worked their asses off basically and papered, you know, the streets of Detroit and became big, very locally at first, but but big in Detroit, totally, totally on their own terms. Um, just to give you a flavor of the types of lengths they were willing to go to, and also some of the humor and lifestyle choices that later are, of course, reflected in their music. Uh, they even talk mm. about like uh, dating ugly, fat women who worked in Kinko's <laughs> to give them more access or rates. Um, doing this sort of thing, not necessarily recommended, um, but yeah, just incredible stories about self promotion, which I think is very, 
aspirational, frankly. You know, think what you want about ICP. Hate their music. Hate the fact that it's rap and that they're degenerate. Um, but you know, if you're if you're trying to publish your own stuff, like most of us are, promote your own podcast or whatever, like take note. I mean, they they did Absolutely. it. Absolutely. They did it very, very well. I mean, Um, this is yeah. the we talk a lot about a parallel economy, a you know, our guys. you know, doing it without the help of a mainstream publishing company, a mainstream platform of any sort. And this is a group that did that before the internet, really. Yeah. I mean, Oh, it, yeah. it you know, not that the internet arose, you know, subsequently, yeah. but they started their efforts before there even really was an internet. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. They I mean, were, we're talking 1991. yeah. You know, as a, as a, as a form, you know, uh, as a, um, introductory matter, you know, I could have said that, you know, hip hop duo, duo founded it. I think they were founded in 1989, technically. Their first album comes out in 91. So this is all, and especially for, um, and that was another element I was going to kind of emphasize this narrative. There's a lot like Kid Rock. I, I don't, I'm not trying to diss the guy. I don't know. Like, I think was from a little bit of money in the suburbs. Um, Yeah. ICP, I actually think they're also technically from the suburbs, which some haters have pointed out, including Eminem. Um, but they grew up dirt poor. Like that's a matter of, um, you know, not public Yeah. record, but it, it's no one disputes that. Like if you look at what the story was, they grew up with with um, absolutely no money. So, you know, 1991, 10 years. I mean, there is an Internet, of course, but it's 10 years before even average type people would have any access to it. And certainly not people growing up in um, poverty in, you know, Detroit adjacent Michigan. But if Yeah. I had access to, they real their resources were extremely and genuinely limited, and they they made it work. And it's really it really is quite impressive. I can't, I I am at a loss to think of anyone else who's really done anything similar. Frankly, um, it's quite Yeah. inspiring. Yeah. Quite the white pill for what many of us are trying to do here. Yeah, and of course the game has changed. Now there is an internet, and we're competing with. many more people trying to do the same thing, but you, you know, there's still, it still is a white pill. Cause it still is, you know, you, you, the, 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 the game is very different, but, but the spirit I think remains the same. And a lot of the advice that violent J gives in the book, it's kind of basic bitch stuff. But like, when you see it, when you hear it from someone who succeeded, you know, you realize the extent to which it's true. It's just, you have to work much, much harder than everyone else and you have to it's he he's kind of a big believer as like i find almost all successful people are in these concepts like the law of attraction and um, basically the Yeah. mindset of not accepting anything but success like not considering the possibility of anything but total success um is the Yeah. secret ingredient and this seems to have uh very much work for them Yeah. I think another aspect that's helpful is a high bar to entry, whereby Yeah. you create a um a subculture, a world with its own rules and, and all of that. So It, um, you know, rather than kind of being uh, dissolved in the, you know, the vicissitudes and ephemera of the culture, it, uh, it persists, it, you know, you create a mythos for your, your group, your whatever, you create a buy in where after, you know, someone takes the time to understand what it means to be part of what it means to be a juggalo, Yeah. then it's like, well, you know, I, did all this work becoming a juggalo, I might as well stick it out and go to the juggalo events and Yes, stuff and of actually that that nature. <laughs>
that because I listen, I don't I'm a big fan uh, and, and genuinely I'm not you know, there was a big deluge of like jugglers are misunderstood content circa like 2015. And I think they are misunderstood and I'm sympathetic and all of these things. Um, but but I also want to I wanted to not I don't want this to be yet another. Oh, like sociology uh, juggalos are, are kind of misunderstood and they're actually just poor whites. Uh, I mean, I think some of that's true. But um, but I I want to own it like I'm like genuinely a fan of of these guys. I, am I a juggalo? I don't know. I don't know if I <laughs> describe myself that way. Um, and I'm not saying I'd like fit in at the gathering of the juggalos, but like I am an um, unironic fan of their output. Um, I think it's some of it's really misunderstood, underappreciated. Some of it's just funny. It's not for yeah. everyone. Um, but you know, I will give give props to these guys if I met. Shaggy and Violent J. Shaggy Two Dope and Violent J. Those are the names of the two band members that persist. Again, they started being more like one of these public enemy NWA groups with a bunch of people, and they they kind of whittled down by 1993 or so to that you know core duo, which they're most famously consist of. Anyway, if I ever met them, I, I would tell them that I've been down with the clown since I was 13, and I don't think I'd be faking the funk. I mean, I think. <laughs> how did I? How did I get onto that? I, I just um. I wanted to add that caveat, like uh, I, I will own that, like I like the stuff, and um, I'm willing to praise it here. Uh, but of Matt course, Vegas, also... down with the clown. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, where was I going? With that uh, branching nodes of different things we could talk about. But okay, so I really like them, and I, I, I respect Juggalos. Hard stop. In order to not appear too much like a sycophant, you know, you mentioned this buy into entry thing. Um. I don't necessarily condone uh, everything um, that Juggalos have ever done. I think that, and I, I bring this up, I'm not going to give a firm opinion because I yeah, I don't want to appear to be a sycophant for, uh, not sycophant's the wrong word. I don't want to appear like I, um, it's not It's not like ICP can do no wrong and it's not like they can do no right. I mean, I think an open question, because I, I, I talked to another friend from Michigan on the way into this who had a pretty negative take on ICP and Juggalos. Um, and, you know, his kind of point was like, it's, it's um, even in saying this, I think it's there, there's nuance, but like basically that the whole juggalo identity is like sort of accepting. Accepting the role of white trash, so to speak, mm -hmm. um, you know, kind of rallying around. Not transcending a sort of down and out ghetto identity. Yeah. Um, and I can certainly see how that's the perception. And I can, I certainly think they're, pro I've never been to the gathering. Uh, I would definitely go if I, ha you know, if the opportunity arose. And I think there's probably some very fine people there. Um, but also, like, I'm sure you'd see some stuff there that's like not people living their uh, best lives. And um, to what extent, this is a bigger, like, kind of philosophic question about music in general. Like, to what extent? Is music like a palliative thing for people in bad circumstances? To what extent can it perpetuate yeah. negative things? I, I come out being very pro ICP and pro juggalo. I think it's a good community for people, among other things. But you know, they're pro I'm sure I, I'm just I'm just basically adding this as a caveat so it doesn't appear that I'm blind to the potential negative side of this. I'm sure there's some drugs and shitty sex stuff and whatever else that does occur and that that also can be a group dynamic that's perpetuated i'm not blind to that is all i'm trying to say uh, and i think that's yeah that, it's an interesting question with regard to them sociologically is like is this a really interesting and inspiring 
you know, lower mo- for the most part, lower rungs to society um, group thing that's like good for people, or is it sort of bad? In the yeah, way that gang life is bad, and we'll get into the whole gang juggalo thing in a minute. But yeah, I don't know if you have well, thoughts on that. I just wanted to sort of highlight that. Yeah, I mean, also, I think um, an aspect in terms of like, would I be a juggalo? What uh, What are the pros and cons? Eventually, we'll have to discuss their political beliefs and positions to the extent that, you know, they have them. Right. And, um, yeah, I I think we'll find quite a bit of, um, you know, distance between where we are and where Violent J and Shaggy 2 Dope are politically. (laughs) I think so. And maybe maybe we can can get to that now. Although I would add, even as a caveat to that, it's like politics have never been the main point but sure yeah and as far as they have politics um we'll get into that let's let's get into that um but the last thing i wanted to say because i this was i think a somewhat matt pegas original point perhaps i found this fascinating so juggalos are associated a bit with drugs icp is associated not even so much with drugs like they're not nowhere near associated with like even weed or something as like a snoop dog is but you know they talk about some drugs in their songs they have a kind of genuinely um uh g- generally druggy kind of identity um but take note people like um uh there's no mention of drugs little to no mention of alcohol violent j has some like legal troubles that they, they kind of get loosely involved in gang life far from an unspeckled life but he doesn't crucially i would say i'm not trying to be like uh, justin murphy mr anti-weed guy post that we saw the other week um but he doesn't he ne- he does not smoke weed and definitely doesn't do any harder drugs until ba- well in as far as i can tell from the book they don't play a role in his life and he specifically says he doesn't try weed until he's like 30 mm. which um i'm not sure what was holding him back because it was certainly yeah, like that's people who were me. doing drugs what's that that's odd to me because it's I would odd think... but yeah i I think that he was first and foremost a workaholic, and I don't think it's any coincidence that this, of all the many Wigga uh, rappers out there, um, that they were the ones who got so far ahead from a business and sort of financial standpoint. They were really focused on it. It's not just not smoking weed. It's the whole, his whole outlook is one of a total, total commitment to what he was doing. And yeah, I just thought I don't I don't know if anyone else has really brought that up, but I, I I just don't think it's a coincidence that for as druggy as a lot of jugglers are now, and as you know, people associate ICP with you know making these kinds of bad choices, um, really was not a part of the story at all, and you know until he until he starts touring and like basically starts smoking weed as a anti anxiety sleep aid or something like that's what he brought it up as, and I'm kind of the opinion not to get into weed politics and all that I'm kind of the opinion that it's it's worse when you're younger and once you're like 30, you can kind of make your own moderate choices, mm-hmm. I, I guess. Um, but, but that seems to be not unrelated <laughs> basically. Yeah. Um, and it, it stands in stark contrast to the way people perceive ICP yeah. as these, as these, as these wasteoids and burnouts. Uh, no, they, they worked really workaholic teetotaler. Violent yeah. J and Shaggy not a teetotaler, <laughs> but like and then Violent J and Shaggy Two Dope specifically, I think, did end up having some alcohol problems. The Protestant <laughs> work ethic, yeah, totally, Shaggy totally. Uh, Violent J, yeah, 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 absolutely, and and that that really, really, I can't overstate that. Basically, you know, and it, you you hear the mythos of bands like, oh, we worked hard, 
we did this, blah, blah, blah. We are underground. We never compromised to mainstream labels. But listening to the autobiography, I think the facts really do speak for themselves. They worked really hard. Um, I mean, there's other stories I sort of wanted to get into, but look, we should probably move on to the next topic. Like like the fact that they, you know, when when their first um, mainstream label jive, which was a pretty mm. major label at the time, it no longer exists. Yeah. Um, it became obvious that they only signed them because they wanted to get a piece of the pie of of the massive numbers they were doing in, in Detroit and yeah. not actually help. The reason they wanted to get a label is to get national distribution because you really can't do that on your own. You need to have some kind of even an indie label, but like you need. Well, now, of course, you can, because now, of course, you have the Internet. But back then, you really needed um, some kind of label with means to get your music out there. They basically were not doing that for them. They'd call their friends in other cities and they'd be like, yeah, your record, Riddlebox, which is one of my favorite ICP albums, um, mm. the album at the time, was not being stocked. So what they did was, I'll just, this last, you know, I think this is fascinating that they did this. Um, maybe this is apocryphal, but Violent J says they literally threw a dart out of Napa, the United States, hit Dallas, Texas. Um and went there to prove that they could get big anywhere and did their exact marketing techniques of hours in Kinko's, postering the town, giving away free albums, hanging outside high schools to distribute their tape. This was another thing they did. Did it all in Dallas and were able to get big there, which kind of proved their point to jive. Again, later. Yeah, this sounds like our guys, right? This Absolutely. sounds like we know yeah. guys who are like, you know, make t-shirts and such and like you know make a, a point to hand them out to you know put out flyers and you know it uh certainly this type of guerrilla marketing this is uh something that we're not strangers to on this side of the internet and perhaps uh the insane clown posse are the progenitors in some respects of uh, anyways, this yeah. type of marketing yeah, you know, it's a DIY aesthetic that you get in punk and hip hop in general, but I just can't think of any band that has done this on the scale of ICP. And, um, you know, to close out the story, they have their little experiment in Dallas, Texas is a massive success by their own account. And to this day, and maybe it just has to do with the size of the city and the type of people who like ICP, Dallas, Texas, look at Spotify, Dallas, Texas, I think number two on the cities where they're most widely listened to um, after Chicago. It's probably only not Detroit just because Detroit has a smaller population. It's but like. Yeah, all this data is at our fingertips, and they're still huge in Dallas. <laughs> and it's interesting how these things work. Um, but yeah, maybe we get on the socio-political topic um, without further ado. Sounds um, good. Yeah. So where to? Where to? Where to? I mean, feel feel free to take a stab at it if you want. I mean, I can give my okay. Own uh, yeah, a we'll... number of different ways we could worm our way in here, but yeah. So I mean, some of this. When I was listening to ICP when I was 12 or 13, I didn't really have much of a political consciousness at that age, wasn't sure what the politics of any of my bands were, really. I uh, wasn't sure what my own politics were. Right. But, uh, you know, fast forward, we're doing this episode, and I guess I'm not surprised to learn. And in truth, now when I think about the lyrics to some of the songs, the uh, that ICP was, in fact, uh, very hostile to Christian conservatives in yeah. America in the 90s, in the you know early 2000s. So they were, you know, very anti uh, anti Bush, you know, during I the... guess I actually don't I mean, no, not to not to correct you. Maybe, you know, I, they, I, the, it's hard to find them actually talking about 
presidential candidates or presidents. I mean, I'm lumping them in. I imagine they would be because, like, I remember during um, the lead up to the Iraq war, Eminem released. I mean, there's all sorts of bands were just like, and okay, like in retrospect, yeah, Yeah. right on. Like that was was the Iraq war was a bad idea. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Bush uh, was, you know, pretty, um, you know, best. Not our, not really our best guy. And, um, but Eminem released Mosh, which was this kind of like a uh, song that was, you know, aimed directly at Bush and at the Iraq war and like, you know, calling him, you know, a great Satan of sorts. Yeah. Again, you know, in retrospect, maybe not the, uh, the worst uh, messaging, but um, I think more broadly, because, the moral majority, which was a you know a force in American culture and politics, was firmly at that time was firmly against people like the insane clown posse for their lyrics and such behavior, <laughs> uh, less so their actual personal behavior, but maybe that of the juggalos. Uh, was firmly against like Eminem rappers. What so you had this you know element of the culture that was like okay, the people we don't like. We're we're at war with the moral majority. We're at yeah. war with conservative Christians, and I think that is you know the, the culture has experienced this kind of weird uh, boomerang effect, right? Where you know people who were more um, you know allied with. Um, I'm a rebel, I'm a, you know, I'm disagreeable, I this and that. Well, like nowadays, like those people tend to be actually conservative <laughs> in that, or if not conservative, totally. reactionary in their outlook. And it, um, it's kind of, it, so while I can easily, you know, see a world, I, I don't know the specifics, but I can easily see a world where ICP was against Bush, against all of that. The, you know, the way the culture has changed, I and we're going to talk about it, but the ICP, their relationship to Trump, when Trump has become kind of an, uh, uh, you know, an emblem of the white working class and their plight. Well, like, what is a juggalo if not someone who comes from the white working class? So yeah. I'm I'm curious how exactly uh, ICP and bands like them are trying to square the circle now that politics have really changed and republican used to mean i'm a guy at a country club i'm a yeah. rich you know t- together the guy people they really now like. yeah, it means yeah like now it like means that. like i um you know i'm a laborer yeah i mean <laughs> partially still it's uh you know as with all politics it's a union of maybe them with the country club demographic, yeah, it's a real somewhat, but I think country yeah. club demographic, like it depends. Like, if you're a small business yeah. owner, you're an independent, like you know, you own a, a car dealership, maybe you own a law firm or what have you, you own a small yeah. doctor's practice, maybe. But if you're like you work at Goldman Sachs, like country clubs, yeah, like, like in, rhino, you know, you're probably, definitely yeah. a Democrat. Yeah, you or work a at yeah, <laughs> or, or yeah. rhino, but yeah, like even then, yeah, yeah, rhino. What is a rhino? If you vote for Biden, you know you're not really a, you know sure yeah, yeah not yeah, a Republican yeah, sure. anymore, are you? I guess or whatever. But um, yeah, no, okay. So one one wrinkle, okay. Firstly, I'll say uh, ultimately, 
though I don't endorse everything FCP has ever said politically. I think they do a decent job in this day and age kind of squaring the circle. Mm. Um, and I, I say that because for the very simple reason, but meaningful enough, because again, they're, they're, oh, their best uh, enemy, uh, Eminem, uh, they, they later kind of buried the hatchet, uh, no pun intended, but you know, they had a, had a rivalry with Eminem. Eminem famously, you know, said some shit like, uh, you know, if you're if you're a supporter of Trump, you're you're no fan of mine or something. <laughs> um, I don't know. ICP's just kind of avoided the topic for the most part. But I, I was listening to um, I don't know if you know who Adam 22 is or like a no jumper. It's like a well, you I'm sure you've seen the memes about Adam 22 being a cop. Uh... But, yeah, <laughs> not even. I, mean, I, I, I know about him for the more current. Uh, yeah, memes. Uh, I think <laughs> uh, no, uh, no disrespect. I think Adam Twenty Two is an interesting guy and whatever porn stuff. But um, <laughs> he, he, you know, he really is an interviewer of various underground hip hop figures, and he's interviewed interesting Violent J many times. And I, I was catching up on one of his interviews, I think, from a couple years back. But he said something. Violent J said something negative about Trump being a kind of bully mentality which i mean i wouldn't totally deny i think that's the way he comes across to a lot of people is this kind of yeah high school bully um and then adam 22 is like oh you're cool saying that like you don't worry about alienating your fans and he's like and i don't remember exactly what violent j said and hopefully i'm not misinterpreting what he said hopefully he didn't say like fuck them or something the way larry david did uh, but i think he said something like, like i'm not tripping if you voted for trump like he doesn't really care like he himself interesting like trump I don't think they're big Biden guys either. I, I don't yeah. know. Um, I honestly, the close and this is speculative, but I it seemed to sum it up pretty well to me. We all remember last year, about a year ago, when Tucker Carlson had Ice Cube on. Mm. I kind this is speculative because there's no equivalent for ICP, but I I kind of feel like so Ice Cube is um, you know, left of center on many meaningful issues. Yeah, policing stuff, BLM. I don't know if he openly flies the BLM colors. He probably has his ice cube, probably has slightly his own take on it, knowing him. He's kind of a, he's an independent thinker. I think that's what he even said to Tucker. Yeah. I'm trying to say this is a little bit speculative, but my read on ICP, my read on Juggalos is that they're the kind of um, Wigga version of that, basically. <laughs> like, I think that. There is this is another this is kind of a, a topic that's interesting in its own right. There is a sort of more populist string in um you know a lot of rap music is associated with like BLM tier lefty stuff obviously. But from the get-go and even to this day um there's kind of a more populist even libertarian flirting with strain within sort of urban culture, black culture, rap culture. And you get it uh, you see it with people like Ice Cube, who you know kind of consider themselves first and foremost independent thinkers. They have lefty takes on probably foreign policy, probably policing. But like, I mean, he's definitely not. Um, you know, he's kind of a masculinist. I, you know, many rappers are are that in their own way. And I, I that's the same gen, general gist I get from ICP, except that they're um, even less political than Ice Cube. Um, you know, for the most part, they don't want to deal with it. But but when you get into it, it's it's a populist mentality more so than a leftist one. It's a pro ghetto. It's a sympathetic to the little guy, uh, their specific type of little guy, which is like an urban type of figure. Um, yeah, mentality and like. Yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of, spe- I'm being more speculative about it with um, ICP because there's not a lot of proof in the pudding of like them reaching across the aisle or anything. It just, 
that's the vibe I get, you know, and, and the big mate, one of the main, and we'll talk more about this. One of the major like sociopolitical inflection points with ICP is in 2017, when the FBI declares Juggalos to be a loosely organized hybrid gang, <laughs> this becomes the um, political, uh, the political issue to end all political issues for ICP. They're um, justifiably outraged by this. Juggalos are justifiably outraged by this. They have a march on Washington um, that happens to be the same day as a pro-Trump demonstration. I'll talk a bit about that in a minute. Um, but but yeah, basically, th this is the type of thing they care about more than 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 general politics. It's kind of looking out, um, yeah, their own. Interesting. Yeah, I don't, where was I? What was I saying with that? Um, that's the inflection point. Sorry, what was I talking about right before I said about Ice Cube? Oh, all all I was trying to say is um. If Tucker had been independent at that time, again, maybe this is stupidly speculative. I just think this is the cloth they're cut from. It'd be easy enough to imagine him inviting them on to talk about the overreach of the three-letter organizations. Because let's oh, remember, yeah, yeah. the FBI is no fan of Trump either. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think that's what it is. I think it's um they're 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 maybe they're left of center in many of ways, but they're not establishment left uh, by a long shot. Nor are they like Marxist communists or something either. They're yeah. just looking out for their own. They, what they are, though, and this is a slight wrinkle in what you said, which I'll push back on slowly. I don't think that, surprisingly, and less so than the Marilyn Mansons of the world, they have never been anti-Christian. Really? Um, yeah. Okay. No, there's you can find some lyrics about being against corrupt preachers, but it's not even like a huge theme. Um, okay. We'll talk about this in the, the spirituality final section of this pod. Um Violent J's mother um, was uh, was very religious, very Christian, and I see. Violent J himself is not Christian; he's more universalist in his outlook. But they are very, very religious, and clearly, clearly take a lot of points from the Christianity they are brought up with. You really can't find them; they never say anything bad about like Jesus or. or I mean, they, they, realistically, they had a negative take on. Um, conservative christians who would censor their music certainly but but again like we talked about the top of the pod they were the most maligned band on earth their enemies uh were far more than just um conservative christians you know some of whom may have not liked them but they were probably more focused on manson who took like a more directly anti-christian line a lot of yeah like icp it was just everyone <laughs> on both sides it was tipper i don't think tipper gore ever addressed them directly they were just widely disliked um one, yeah. one point with the the christian thing this is this is worth getting in as a soundbite this is probably where they came in um came across a lot of people's and music journalists radars for the first time is this little issue i alluded to with the great Belenko, where it was actually i don't remember if i alluded to this or not but basically it's on hollywood records which was owned by disney but only to, in the way that like Miramax was also owned by Disney at the time. It's not like that doesn't make Pulp Fiction a Disney movie. But anyway, there's a there's a there's a Disney parent company ownership issue. Uh, and Disney and this is kind of an example of the more things change, the more things stay the same. Disney's always been this weird place where I think it is a very progressive company certainly is now, but they also are trying to appeal to a general audience. And, then, you know, now they're in their own cultural war with Ron DeSantis, but um, at the time, they were under fire for having like, like starting like Gay Day or something at Disneyland. Um, yeah. And in order to combat that, they decided to axe the Great Malenko. 
from they they recalled the issue right before it was to go out. They basically canceled the tour. I mean, it's kind of the most despondent point in the nineties, late nineties for ICP and in the book. But but within a few days, the story. This is I'm sure I'm quite sure this is the first time they ever made a national headline. The L.A. Times hopped on it like, "What the fuck is Disney doing?" Like because no one likes you know in America we don't we don't like this kind of thing. <laughs> you know, regardless of what side we're on, pretty much, especially if maybe it was a little more progressive leaning. L.A. Times certainly is, but you know there was um. Basically, the, they hopped, the journalist class hopped on the hopped on the instance of Disney basically doing something shady to try and, I guess, yeah. throw a bone to their conservative critics. I don't, I don't, I do, it's actually maybe I'm missing a detail. It's not now that I'm saying it out loud. It's like I don't know why not releasing it instead. I don't think it was like they weren't doing it for no one. No, no one really knew who ICP was at the time, so it wasn't like conservative Christian groups were like don't release this album it was more like they were getting scared i think and they were like we got to stop all our no-. i'm sure there was other fallout from that too we got to stop all our non-family friendly stuff so the great Blanco almost became a casualty of that um mm-hmm. but it probably did them more good than harm in the long run because they got they ended up signed with island records who they had their best sort of mainstream um record label run with they got a lot mm-hmm. of attention it probably ended up doing them more good than harm so my point is they, they're definitely not um, completely outside of that moral majority, you know, cracks down on music thing, but in a, to a funny extent, that was never their most major beef. They're very like happy go lucky. Uh, even then I would say, even during the height of that, like little era of the uh, post column, you know, pre and post Columbine culture awards, like what are our kids listening to thing? They were surprisingly not like, combative against would-be censors mm. um i don't and i don't know why i think it's because they've always had this desire to reach across the aisle that they, they have um i think because of this religious background of violent jay's mother because of their basically and sincerely like very positive outlook which i know sounds weird to people who haven't listened to them that much but like that there is always this great positivity and what they're trying to say despite all the sort of humor and violence it's always like basically we we could talk at length about this you know a lot of the a lot of the songs are you know they seem really violent but they're basically morality tales especially on the great malenko it's like killing Mm -hmm. you know they seem like killing pedophiles and things like this their message so they've always and in some of it i'm sure just wanting to be liked they've always had this strong desire i think to to reach as many people as possible. It's all, it's very in, in a low key way, I think very influenced by, by Christianity. And um, they've always come from this nuanced, I'm going to say white trash. I don't mean it that way, but you know what I'm saying? Like this, this nuanced place where they, they kind of, they, they have their enemies. They call them rich boys and bigots. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, And, and they also have a number of songs against pedophiles, which is kind of low hanging fruit, but no less. Um, uh, so they they have their enemies, but within a kind of more general lower rungs of society class, like within or America, shall we say, or even just lower middle class America, yeah. they really seem like they want to reach everybody: Christian, not Christian, somewhat conservative, somewhat progressive. Okay, I I, I think that's always kind of been because I think that's I, I don't know a lot about Detroit. I don't think it's a happy place to be from. I, again, this friend who I talked about who doesn't like ICP so much, like, you know, said that there's really bad racial tension in Detroit. I, I'm curious kind of for the stats on that. I don't know. 
I view ICP as this embodiment of like a very, we're all in this together mindset that's more populist than strictly left okay. um, pertaining to like the lower classes. And I think that's done them a lot of good. And I think that was an aspect of their music in the nineties. I think it's an aspect of this, their music to this day. Um, yeah. All right. That was very long winded, but I, I just, I, no, they're no. not the culture warriors that many of their peers were. They, they wanted to be, they clearly have always wanted to be big tent despite obviously alienating most people that listen to them. They really are, I think, open to almost anyone who's down, <laughs> but down with the clown, down with the clown. But they do, of course, they do have enemies. Um, they talk about rich boys and bigots. I mean, literally, that comes up all the time to this day in their music, but especially in the 90s. Um, I guess to start with the rich boy thing, you know, they they're obviously poor, they you know, have have nots over halves. Of course, they're all pretty bloody yeah. rich today. So uh, there, I think there's been some uh, tweaking of the message where it's it, they're not they don't exclude people for having money. But there is, again, kind of not entirely unchristian influence, you know, uh, harder for 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 a rich man. A rich man. Yeah. To pass into heaven than camel through eye of needle or whatever, whatever it is. There, there's kind of that mentality, which, hey, like yeah. uh, I, I'm, I'm not a i'm not a commie i'm not against having money but uh but yeah there's 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 things you can criticize about people with money money corrupts um so anyway, that's a kind of more basic one the, the one that i it's not even that i hit my head on it the one that's just worth noting is um they're absolute they're they're, they're anti-racist before it being anti-racist was cool like that in the 90s when you could still simply not be racist um they were kind of like antifa tier yeah anti-racist um and uh, you know they got some songs that um, that are entertaining, but that are almost it's almost hilarious. Like okay, so a good example is um, they have a song called Chicken Hunting. It's um it's a very popular one. Um, there's two versions of it. There's a kind of softer version of it from um, their album The Ringmaster, which again was their first big independent release. And then they have something. This is the more widely listened to one. Um, good, very good track, frankly. And I think it may be one of the first times they ever really started to use electric guitars in their music, which later became kind of their calling card more so as a chicken, the chicken hunting slaughterhouse mix. Uh, <laughs> by the way, when I'm editing this, I think at least on Spotify and maybe generally, I, I think um, I think I'm allowed to use little snippets of songs. So I may choose. Okay. They will play chicken hunting here. It is a song about killing rednecks. Let's <laughs> not mince words. And um, it, it's the type of thing that even modern Antifa types would probably back away from because it almost sounds, and I don't even mean this in like a white advocacy or in some right wing fringe space thing here. I mean, like it actually sounds, I don't know if racist is the word that anti-racist would use, but it's very much focusing on stereotypes of people 
from a certain part of the country. It talks about, you know, Southern yeah. accents and rednecks and all these things. All of it is, is um, what's the word, uh, predicated on the idea that these are racist people who deserve to die. So in their mind, there's a reason. But but it really leans hard into basically demographic. It's white on white crime, Dan, is what I'm trying <laughs> to say. White trash on white trash, uh, which is, um, listen, not even to cast my own opinions on it as of now, it's uh, very interesting to think about kind of early 90s identity crisis. You're white rappers, but and you're not like necessarily a self-hating white per se, but you need you draw this harsh line in the sand. Like you are not these rednecks. Um, yeah. This is a, a hard line in the sand. They're also absolutely pervasive. But I think the Chicken Hunt and Slaughterhouse mix is the most widely listened to track, but on almost every record from the 90s they seem to peter away from they seem to slowly move away they still will sing against racists to this day they they move away from talking about rednecks all the time by the 2000s well, and i'm not sure why i have some some ideas this is kind inside. of what i meant when i said that they firmly are against christian conservatives i kind meant more against yeah. uh quote unquote bigots mm-hmm yeah, I guess that's um, I, I'm sorry they, I'm being long-winded. That's the point I was trying to make. It's not the Christianity, it's the perception of bigotry. It's the good old boys. Not yeah, the, they're they're against God. you know, yeah. kind of um a a version of like um white culture or what have you that used to be associated somewhat with like country club this or that but also you know from the so it what it it's you know kind of what i think icp has found themselves embroiled in and what we've all found ourselves embroiled in is it used to be the case that redneck culture and country club culture had a common bond and a common tie which was where republicans we stand for x y and z now that's been fractured and the country club Republicans are not, they're rhinos if they even are Republicans, right. as we discussed. And they're essentially Democrats now. And the downtrodden whites, the rednecks, are the only Republicans left. And so that places people like, yeah. you know, ICP in an interesting, you know, place because their fans are historically like the juggalos are downtrodden whites uh some of whom i guess you know you could say would would have been antifa types or are antifa yeah. types but i mean also there's a lot of like machismo in there there's a yeah. lot of you know a lot of guys who probably would say like oh i'm not i'm not down with that stuff um you know i'm more just like a, a normal like you know masculine attitude um about you know, being a, a guy, a white guy. Yeah, I mean, so, it's, it's it's analogous. I, I, sorry, keep going, keep going. I mean, I, I think like previously, it was it was easier for them to be like, we're against uh, you know rednecks and bigots, and still maintain a core of kind of um, you know their white working class fans. Right. Now, when you say you're against rednecks and bigots, well, frankly, like, you know, so I live in New York City, certainly not a redneck. Um, as to the latter, well, I'll let, uh, you know, other people answer that because, right. you know, certainly the left would say I'm a bigot. 
the left was so like now suddenly um a lot of um you know their their fans probably qualify as these bigots that they once Some uh, of them do. despised yeah. so well, they've i think one of the reasons why you have violent jay and you know people like that who are more chastened in this era and being like oh well you know how how would you feel if your fans voted for trump it's like well you know a lot of them probably did you know yeah things yeah. are different Some now. Of them did, i don't know but yeah, no, absolutely. And I think they, they didn't really talk about this in the book or anything, but I think there was a conscious effort. So they, they remain anti-racist. I don't want to, I'm not going to get into an, a thing of like, oh, this is why they're silly. Like, no, no, no. They're white rappers. I get that they're anti-racist. It's fine. Um, but with that, what I, and they still are. But what I appreciate that they've moved away from is, even though I actually think some of the songs <laughs> on their first album, they have a song called Redneck Ho, which is also funny <laughs> about, you know, having sex with uh, redneck women. But, um, you know, and some of it's funny. So like, I have a sense of humor. But I, I do think it was the right choice to not make everything redneck this, redneck that. They now have a rapper. I think he's one of the better He's, I don't think he's with Psychopathic anymore, but he had a couple albums with them. One of their better later signs on a Psychopathic record is this guy, Boondocks. Um, he's probably, I mean, I, I'm sure he's also anti-racist, but his whole image was that he was like the redneck juggalo. Um, hmm. And it has like a little bit of a country rap thing going. Um, I think they, they, they um, later sort of embraced and realized the extent they moved away from maybe not even with maybe without even thinking about it. They moved away from the more demographic oriented attacks on so-called rednecks. Still anti-racist, um, blah, blah, blah. But uh, I think they, they realized that that was the wrong tract. This country boy versus city boy thing was was a brother war. I think they yeah, I think they slowly but surely realized that. Um. Yeah, I'm going to ambulate back around the point. Like, I do think the best way to understand them politically is. Um, yeah, and and I bring it up because I think it's an interesting topic in its own right. This more populist strain within sort of urban ghetto and often, you know, black and hip hop adjacent culture, you know, mm -hmm. that exists. You know, they're not all I'm not just talking about Kanye or something. Although maybe he's some weird high profile example of it. You know, there's there's a lot of and I'm not praising all of it, but there's a lot of like conspiracy theories. Yeah, there's yeah. A, there's, a, there's there's more nuance there than than people on a mainstream level would paint. And I'm not just talking about dumb conspiracy theories or anti-Semitism or liking um, Farrakhan or anything. Oh, there's certainly that. But just just generally, I mean, another good example is this guy, Killer Mike. Uh, I don't even go too much on this. He just got arrested at the Grammys for some reason. But, you know, he's like this. um yeah, there's there, there's smarter people with more nuanced takes. He's like a pro gun guy. He's you know, there's a lot of blacks and a lot of um people in the hip hop community who are like I, I, I who don't want to be you know kind of roped in with the whole Democrat agenda. And yeah, I think ICP is part of that element of hip hop. Another one. This ties into what I want to talk about a little bit. I mean, I think we can gloss it because we're coming up on I don't know hour and a half here. Uh, we can gloss over this a bit, but another, you know, aspect of, of their music, you know, I want to talk about kind of where that where I think they fit in with the history of hip hop, which I think is underappreciated by a lot of people, but certainly by a mainstream audience, maybe even by some hip hop fans as well. They work a lot. Uh, one of the major dudes who's, I think, played the last handful of Gathering of the Jugglers is KRS-One. Have you ever listened to KRS-One? Sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, back like, in the day, like one of the first rappers, really. One of the first rappers and one of the first very 
socially conscious rappers. Um, he's yeah. ostensibly a lefty guy, and hey, I definitely don't support everything he says. Uh, I was just looking up kind of the history of some of the silly, if entertaining stuff he said, like uh, when nine eleven happened, we cheered, and then he clarifies because he doesn't like the establishment, whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. Kevin Osman endorsed Ron Paul in two thousand eight. So you know, there's these weird, yeah. um, you know, the, the 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 image that it's all they're they're all Biden's fucking army. <laughs> Is incorrect, and I think yeah. that's sort of where where ICP fits in. Um, I think, oh man, uh, many, many. I don't know if you have anything to hop in with. I have many nodes I could go off. And I was going to talk about the the Juggalo March a bit. If you have anything, no, I mean, that sounds good. Yeah, uh, on the Juggalo March. Yeah, we added. We talked about that in 2017. They get um, added to the FBI's list as a as a loosely organized hybrid gang. I believe even the FBI maybe clarified. That they don't mean all ICP fans. And okay, look, Juggalos. let's be fair. I what's that? Juggalos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the I, gang. It's it's funny. It's pretty funny. Um, I'm gonna attempt to be fair here. Um, I don't like the FBI. Uh <laughs> and sure. I don't think they should have classified them as a loosely organized hybrid gang. That being said, I, I do think they probably were basing it off of some real world examples of not Juggalos as a whole, certainly nothing that happens at the gathering, at least not that I know of. Uh, from the research I've done, it does seem that there are some loosely affiliated sort of cliques of Juggalo gang. There are Juggalo gangs. They exist. There's no doubt okay. about that. Uh, or if there is if there is doubt about that, then the stuff I'm reading is, is totally propaganda. I do think... Um, Juggalos are disliked. I don't think they're disliked to the extent that there would be a conspiracy theory that they're Juggalo gangs. It makes sense, okay? Um, the same way that a lot of other rap music is um, also gang-affiliated a little bit. You know, there's, you know, Crypt themes yeah. in this track. There's Blood themes in that track. Uh, it's just that, you know, Juggalos stick out because they're white and because they yeah. dress in a flamboyant manner because the whole everything about Juggalo culture is so um, flamboyant. Uh it's impossible to miss. But the general thing, like, of, of course, um, aggressive, somewhat aggressive music with a poverty stricken fan base is going to have some. And, and also all these, you know, again, I, I tie it in with professional wrestling and Dungeons and Dragons. I think it's playful, but still like, yeah, there there is like a, a juggalo hand sign. There's all these tattoos you can get. It lends itself so well to gang life that. Yeah, of course, that's there is all I'm trying to say. That being said. Anything, you know, the FBI in classic form is overreaching by classifying them as a gang. Um, anyway, so that happens in 2017. It's, a, it, you know, along with this great Malenko thing, it's it's probably another reason, you know, another instance where where ICP makes mainstream headlines and it turns a lot of heads. Because even though they are very maligned or were very maligned even as of 2017, like a lot of people, a lot of sympathetic ears in the media and then music press were like, no, this doesn't seem entirely fair yeah um, I, I think it's probably not a coincidence or a mistake that that was happening right around the same time as charlottesville right so you have yeah, yeah. the you know the fbi obviously they're looking at oh gangs of white people <laughs> that's <laughs> a good point this, i don't know uh, i mean i don't is, know is this some sort of interest group is this you know what's going on here that's a, that's a and, really interesting point i, I don't and know, i think but yeah go on yeah, I think I a hundred percent. I don't, I don't know, but I tend to remember in like the media or the discourse, people juggalos pushing back on it and being like, "No, we're not," you know, 
like a racist group. We're not a this or that. We're not a criminal group. We're not. And an attempt to kind of, I think, from the mainstream, from, you know, people who would be more like sympathetic to the New York Times, that the establishment angle, trying to kind of couch juggalohood in something that was socially acceptable in a way that, you know, other like, I mean, because like, okay, juggalos, that's uh, contemporaneous with at uh, this point, you know, the Proud Boys, stuff like that. Right. And like, obviously, the mainstream media was not hospitable toward them. Yeah, yeah. Totally. So, yeah, that's yeah. an open question to me. Like, how much was it based on the same sort of overreach? Frankly, looking at probably some of the same areas where they thought there'd be, you know, yeah. Uh, this is a dated reference, but it's not even Proud Boys, but like a traditionalist workers party demographic. If you know that yeah. no longer exists. Heimbach. Um, yeah. No, I don't know what extent was that? <laughs> I'm familiar. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, I, I, I don't know to what extent it's like the product of the same overreach, the same, but it definitely is, 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 is it definitely happens at the same time. And there's an interesting little synchronicity, not synchronicity, but, um, or yeah, synchronicity just in the sense of happening at the same time. The 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 thousand juggalo march or whatever it's called. Which by the way, I have a uh, relative who who was in what happened to be living <laughs> at the time, and walked to the Lincoln Memorial, and he'd never heard of ICP, but he was surrounded by people in clown makeup, and he'll share the story of how he had no idea what was going on. <laughs> it's funny, but it must uh, have been really something. Yeah, totally. Um, but this was the same day as uh, as a pro-Trump rally. This is post-Charlottesville, too, so highly tense times. Um, I think with Proud Boys and maybe maybe probably mostly just Proud Boys. Uh, same day it happens. And um, it's kind of this weird, weird moment. I've heard two different takes on it. The first time I ever heard about this happening, someone at my work at the time was like, oh, the Juggalos are marching at the same time as the Proud Boys. Like, that's not... That's not good optics because like, I don't know, to this day, people really like we know because we've listened like we know that they're anti-racist. Yeah. But uh, I guess a lot of people really don't know that a lot of people just see poor. Well, white that's people, that's what I mean, like with the FBI putting them on the list. And it's just like, well, you get a, a group of, of white people together. They, you know, they can't be they, they must be up to no good. Is yeah. the <laughs> assumption of the, you know, the ruling class. I mean, which yeah, you know in way, yeah. various respects like in when it comes to the juggalos they're actually wrong their conception of like what is no good like the juggalos actually are not doing that stuff they're no, you, I know, mean, you know putatively as you say anti-racist yeah no no completely and that, that's actually a thing i wanted to say earlier and this was my long before i sort of got red pilled on the way the world works or whatever and, and demographics i always thought this when i heard the degree to which struggles were maligned we're talking about you know when i got into them 2008 the next few yeah. years um the little joke i wanted to make was you know the blog stuff white people like yeah yeah well, I love that blog and a lot of like sort of red pill demographic people like it because it unintentionally, even though it's kind of for an NPR audience, it, it sort of unintentionally hits the nail on the head about how demographics matter. To give a shout out to Kofefe uh, Anan, it's uh, woke or more correct than the mainstream. Absolutely. Yeah. And this is maybe one of the early examples that there's a very funny um uh stuff white people like bit where it's like um dissing Ed Hardy, you know, the brand Ed Hardy. Mm -hmm. And instead, Ed Hardy was one of the few brands that white hipsters 
could not wear even ironically, <laughs> along with um, SS outfits and KKK hoods. <laughs> uh, and I think that it struck me as true. Like there are so many brands that you can um, wear as like a hipster or you could have when hipster was more of a thing that you could wear ironically. You could you could even do like a Harley Davidson fucking jacket or something, right? And yeah. Hardy was a bridge too far. Too much of a risk that someone will think you're serious, right? <laughs> and um, anyway, to that list, I would have added uh, Juggalo Apparel. I, I think that was... Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I think it was that kind of thing. Um, why did I even say this? I was talking about... Um, yeah, the, 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 the nature of the hatred of ICP. I Yeah, so long before I was even, like, especially pilled on anything, I remember thinking, like, the reason they're so hated... Is because people have all this pent up contempt, hatred, disgust with like ghetto culture that they can't express when it comes to blacks or rap music <laughs> because it's racist. And therefore, yeah. ICP and Juggalos are the perfect scapegoat. And I stand by that. I really do think that's what a lot of it was. There is there's a lot of, you know, pent up classicism and and dis dislike for rap and, and a lot that goes with it. Yeah. You know, people like black people, you know, you know, you can't ever cross that if you're, you know, respectable. So I really do think they were the perfect, perfect scapegoat. Oh, yeah. The classic sense of, you know, the goat that gets beat or whatever. Like, yeah, that's ICP. So I do think there is that element, even to the FBI thing of like. Yeah, you know, this is a bunch of poor white people together. Like there's. They don't They're really up have to no good. Out. They're up to no good, and <laughs> and um, you know, look, the FBI's also gone after, you know, POC groups too, of course. But there's something especially scapegoated about white groups, uh, where they're not going to have a lot of advocates. Again, the nature, uh, and this is part of what I want to talk about, you know, the nature of the media's reaction, the mainstream culture reaction to ICP has has gotten, um, I think, quite substantially better for the past five to ten years. And they mm -hmm. did get some advocates after the, the FBI thing. But certainly at the time, initially, it was like they were low-hanging fruit. They were a very vulnerable target. Yeah. Kind of thing. Absolutely. Um, but to go back to the, the March incident, not March the month, the Juggalo March incident, there there were people who kind of thought it was like bad optics that they would be, um, you know, marching the same day as Trump people. Uh, but there's other people, and there's this Antifa meme that I shared with you. It's... um. It's the Lord of the Rings sort of uh, dwarves and elves fighting side by side. There was this notion of, uh, you know, Legolas and Gimli, you know, um, you know, I never thought I'd be fighting alongside an elf, but it's changed to I never thought I would be fighting alongside a juggalo. And it's an Antifa mm -hmm. meme. Uh, there yeah. was, I guess, people who are a little more than know about what jugglers are actually all about um, in Antifa and like groups and other just anti-chud, as they would call themselves, groups um, sort of tried to embrace it. There was there was a meme going around like. Man, if if they if they punch out one uh, Nazi, like I take back every negative thing I've ever said about them, Juggalos. That is, uh, there was that meme. Now this didn't happen, as far as I know. I, the, the marches were entirely separate affairs. Mm. Um, again, the the line from Violent J and other people associated with ICP has always been like, you know, we don't really dig Trump. It's not what we're about, but like, mm. but not trying to make a big thing out of it. They're not political. Yeah, um, but. I don't know. Maybe this is just in my head, but I feel like that meme kicked around Antifa spheres. Uh, it's sort of going into life of its own, I think. And I, I really they were already kind of on the up and up. I remember there was like a documentary called American Juggalo that had come out. That was this kind of um, Juggalos are misunderstood fair. 
they were already on the up and up, but I think really post 2017, it felt like Juggalos officially became a thing, you know, no longer to be maligned in Trump's America or Juggalos. That was kind of from yeah. my vantage point. There's maybe other vantage points that are not mine. I'm, I live in LA. I live around the intelligentsia, whatever. Like maybe it's more, maybe there still is like a lot of antipathy towards juggalos and, and, and places where there are more juggalos. I don't know. But um, yeah. my vantage point it officially became like juggalos are no longer to be maligned. Their shit's actually like anti-racist and lighthearted for the most part. <laughs> and yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like there was a sea change around 2017. Did you perceive that at all? Or I think so. Yeah. yeah. I think that, you know, certainly this is, should have been low hanging fruit for the establishment because they want they you know hung they're hungry to have a you know an example of um true masculinity that is anti-racist white masculinity that is anti-racist yeah yeah hard to find because for obvious reasons you know why would i hate myself why would i blah blah yeah. blah and so you know to the extent that they have found that in the juggalos perhaps confusedly so perhaps you know you know the juggalos don't all of them don't fully embrace this or understand this i don't know exactly but for you know the new york times for and you know npr or whatever to be able to brand them as such that makes perfect sense plus a um i think there's a certain you know uh, though the political stuff is fraught, I think we we can co-sign on their artistic merit. Oh, yeah. And I think it's becoming increasingly clear as we see the, you know, the rise of underground rap and horrorcore rap. Right. And it's being embraced by, you know, tastemakers like, you know, Immortal Technique, lauded artist, uh, hops in, lauded artist um you know, uh, yeah yeah well, and I so it, the jerky boy i looked it up this is maybe i shouldn't have butted but the no, jerky boys yeah. did a song with icp i'm i'm not surprised at all <laughs> all right go keep, keep going a lot of these reference points make sense yeah hobson yeah. also has done songs with them and yeah you brought this up for and this is maybe a decent transition to like talking about the music a little a little more squarely um yeah they they have a really goofy side um they have some songs that would strike people as like low IQ humor. I will admit I am not immune from the charm from the charms of like eighth grade, you know, uh, kind of scatological and sexual humor. Like um, there is that, but they have a deeper element to their music. A lot of it's not necessarily like their most well-known songs are some of their most brash and bombastic, but yeah, they, they, they're they part of this kind of genre hip hop fringe thing too they're really good storytellers as you as you alluded to you even compare them to to you know kind of more fringe acts or like more indie acts like aesop rock like yeah yeah kind of part of that world too and there's um they're not the most and they're not i'm not saying they're the most like they're not winning any academic awards but like there is an intelligence um to their music there's also an intelligence to their beats i could have gone on they're the producer they mostly worked on is the same guy who's done a lot of kid rock stuff is this guy mike e clark really really okay. talented guy um oh, you know wow. i kind of have a, a thesis on them of sorts it's probably less of interest to the new right audience but i'll just kind of spit it out like mm. contrary to pot you know there's this perception of them as like kind of white suburban interlopers into hip-hop that's like kind of both true and not true again they genuinely grew up in poverty although they were sort of 
from the suburbs that it's different in Detroit, you know, which is a kind of a whole poverty stricken region rather than just a city. Um, mm. Long story short, they're even though they're white and, and slightly outsiders to like the hip hop thing, they kind of embrace Southwest Detroit as their adopted homeland, even though they're not really from it and, and embrace different elements of black culture and rap. You know, there's a little bit of that white boy suburban thing, but, but also coming from a place of, of poverty um, mm. within that, they, they, they really are there from almost the beginning of, of, of hip hop in Detroit, you know, late eighties, they're not just like kind of hopping in after, um, after rap starts to go commercial. Like they, they, they really are there from the beginning. And there's, there's this interesting, this is also, I think an original point of mine. There's this interesting element to their music where, because it was never embraced by a mainstream rap audience or any kind of mainstream audience, it was kind of allowed to evolve on its own sort of Galapagos islands style so that, you know, if you listen to the early stuff, it actually does sound. I'm not saying it's necessarily as good or anything, but it, or as technically professional, or whatever. It sounds a lot like NWA and even like Public Enemy. Like that was kind of their, the people they were most influenced by. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have a very like it, it, it's not night and day. Like again, I said when I first listened to the, the song was "What Is a Juggalo" from the Great Malenko. Mm-hmm. Like that, I couldn't place genre wise. But their early stuff is kind of just rap from this like second or third wave of of rap kind of hitting a more flyover country success um and it's it's not they were a more normal rap group on their first ep their first few albums yeah and it's it's interesting the degree to which i think they maintain an element because like the skits and everything like that was that was a big part of like nwa like if you listen to fuck the police by nwa for example there's this little skit at the end where he's like, um, you know, I, I charge you with being like a, a chicken shit redneck motherfucker. And I think that probably that line on the NWA record, I think, is probably the uh, <laughs> the, the the origin of a lot of a lot of ICP's own anti redneck stuff. Actually, it's not really a common um, thing yeah. you hear in rap too much, like a kind of any kind of identity ident- like going after rednecks is not really a thing in rap, but it, it was on the NWA track. And ICP picked it up. What I'm trying to say is I think that they they have, the you know, it's very similar influence to like where all of hip hop came from and evolved totally on their own terms, their own very strange direction that morphed into mm. something totally outside of, of what the rest of hip hop is, which is interesting in its own terms. But I also think that there is an, a certain level of appreciation there that has come to pay off for them. Again, KRS-One is down mm. with them. You know, they do. They have them at the Gathering of Juggalos. They've done songs with uh with the ghetto boys you know who kind of um yeah for, for people who may not be super familiar with hip-hop like the ghetto boys is the rap group they play throughout office space you know classic classic rap stuff yeah icp is like good friends with them uh they did a song with the aforementioned ice cube uh on you know on a remix album now they also have a history of kind of paying paying big to get guests on to make them look more legit but i think this thing with ice cube was a more genuine like he appreciated them kind of thing the point I'm trying to make, yeah. here, even though they don't get a lot of critical love, I think that there is this understanding that there's kind of this boom bap. I don't know if that's the correct word. That, that may mean something else, but there's this element to their music which retains a part of what hip hop really originally was before Pac and Biggie, before uh, before rap got mainstream attention and, and before it hit the pop chart certainly these were all yeah. these weird diy elements to rap and i think and it's under talked about but i think there's an understanding among a lot of um rappers uh that icp actually is legit <laughs> and actually is they've kind of they've, they've there's um a more um 
extant element of 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 an original spirit behind hip hop. Even the fact that they're a hip hop group. I mean, think about that. Like uh, that stopped being a thing, but it, it, it all used to be groups. Run DMC, Public Enemy, um, NWA, yeah. right in there. ICP, ins- the the insane clown posse. Um, there we go. It's kind of um, a through line. Um, and I know we got to wrap soon here, uh, but maybe the last a good note to end on because this also has to do with the way they later came to be perceived more positively is the total virality of the you've seen it of course probably right the the miracles video from magnus 2010. Yeah. yeah yeah um what, what do they do yeah fucking magnus <laughs> how do they work um few points to make about that i guess let's start with the 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 meme quality that their music sort of we were saying you were saying always kind of embodied but i i would argue yeah. so I, you know, I, I was more in preparation again, listen to a lot of, of their stuff. I was more familiar with like the pre 2009 stuff, but I actually had really just this week started listening to their album Bang Boom Pow from 2009, from which Miracles is taken. Um, and their their next co- couple albums, The Mighty Death Pop and uh, The Missing Marvelous Missing Link. Um, and I didn't think I'd like them because I thought maybe they were kind of played out. But uh, mm. I think they really entered a new era of music where they're making songs like Miracles, more lighthearted, funny, but frankly, well produced. Um, and I really have to say, uh, maybe it's just because I've been spending too much time listening to them, but uh, I really enjoyed their album Bang Boom Pow. It's it's like this. They embrace their pop side. And yeah. They, quite funny and interesting but you had a point you wanted to make about um the kind of mimetic quality of their music right i noticed that in their the way their music even back to great malenko the very early days this kind of mix of discordant um uh, a lack of congruence between the beat and what is being said what is you know the the lyrics it and it evokes a certain um style that you know we've come to know as meme magic and yeah no i thought this was interesting go on yeah yeah this to me the you know the kind of like the, one of the songs we were talking about has like a kind of um a talk show almost vibe with like a sort of like breezy music but then you have like uh jay talking over it or or shaggy and delivering um kind of not sing-songy but like you know just you know frankly just like speaking and saying like really obscene or whatever stuff it it's a very memeable it's very yeah. uh very comic in a way that um you know you you don't really see in music but beyond that it's it's, well done yeah yeah beyond that it's memorable memorable like so i when i think of when i listen to early icp to a certain extent i hear uh echoes of uh chatelet and uh you know the meme magic of 2016 which continues until this day and this kind of like you know uh, harnessing the power of humor 80s music you know kind of with like an inappropriate or unexpected messaging 
And yes, delivered yeah. in like a, a humorous package. You brought up the song, Please Don't Hate Me, which I don't know if it's just because it was an, an early sort of favorite of mine, but to me is like one of their funniest songs. And I, I think I once read that the song was like a parody of like the uh, Lilith Fair sort of like okay. girl with a guitar sound. Uh, but that would make sense. Fucking your friend's mom, uh, which I know, I know, hate, hate, <laughs> or, uh, not for everyone. Um, for me, it uh, puts a twinkle in my eye um, because I was once in eighth grade, not too long ago. You know what I mean? Uh, and it, it's funny and it's well done. And yeah, it it, it is very memeable. Look, uh, I, I'm I, I posted my own little meme, sort of or a screenshot, just a screenshot from a video, and in, in my face with a little sure boy face emoji on my Twitter, uh, kind of the Jungian archetypes within within ICP, within the various characters they introduce on the front of their album covers and within their, within the Dark Carnival mythos. And and like the, the, the archetype that they embody overall is that of the the clown, you know, <laughs> the most basic thing. And they, they, they begin to, you know, I'm union in my, my outlook on this, you know, as with the best memes, they embody something starting as a point, flashpoint of humor. Um, they, they come to embody something much bigger uh, much mm. bigger than than just them you know these are these are archetypes of the collective unconscious that they kind of scratch into um and that's why i think this this point about the the kind of meme quality uh, of icp uh is also relevant to what the note i sort of want to end on which is the spiritual component of icp um mm. you know the, the the miracle song itself basically becomes a meme the snl parody I remember the SNL parody was funny, but it was almost like the original song was kind of funnier. But yeah, also low key, I'll own this. I agree with almost everything they say in Miracles. Uh, they are, you know, there, they, they, there's some kind of I fucking love science people who got angry when they said scientists are lying and getting me pissed. Uh, but they later clarify, you know, we're not <laughs> anti-science, we're anti disenchantment i don't think they use that word that's more of a yeah. people who read julia savola type word to use perhaps but nevertheless that's what they're talking about they're talking about disenchantment they're talking about having kids and seeing life through their eyes and realizing that um people undersell this sort of astonishment at being alive that we can have in these wondrous things in the world um yeah i i vibe with miracles pretty hard um, you know, maybe there's some post irony here. Like, obviously, yes, it's a silly song. It's a silly video. But uh, but no, they're, they're right. They're right about disenchantment. And I agree with every every line. How do magnets work? I don't know. Just kidding. But like, no, I, I literally don't know. I, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> I know there's a rational explanation, but I I, 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 I only more. vaguely know the science. So, yeah, I mean, close enough. I mean, right, I, I think right. most people don't know how magic yes. work. <laughs> <clears throat> totally not. And like um, the uh, and I, Dan, I kind of meant to send this to you in advance, but I'll, I'll send it to you after and maybe I'll link it or something. There's one chapter of Behind the Paint that I think is more worth listening to than than any other. And it's basically when mm -hmm. Violent J talks about his the, he has this vision uh, which he describes as maybe a panic attack maybe it's more of a panic attack because he does have issues with panic attacks and maybe this is his first one but it's also a vision that he has uh, of a dark carnival <laughs> and okay. according to him you know every like it's like getting struck by lightning in like 1991 like right before they start to release yeah. most of it they'd release some music 
the project was underway, but they hadn't really gotten to the core of the Joker's cards. In his mind, he it's kind of like people talk about this with psychedelics too. Fucking what's his name from Scientology uh, says he had this dream where he saw everything. Basically, Violent J has his own um, L. Ron Hubbard. I'm talking about, of course, uh, that's not mm. that relevant to ICP. But I'm just saying that a lot of influential people and artists and various scammers um, have these supposed visions where they they understand everything. And for Violent J, it's this vision of the dark carnival, which he then. Like according to him, everything everything that came after with ICP was just an attempt to remember shit he saw in that vision. Um, and it was like getting struck by lightning. The whole thing came from God. Later on, again, there's this weird relationship with Christianity. I think again, this is under talked about. Even though there's a lot of um, you know, juggalo revisionism, like they're understood. There's still a lack of I think serious thinking about other aspects of ICP. And I think one thing is that like, yes, he grows up with this very religious mother and, you know, who's like Protestant evangelical Christian. He himself mm-hmm. says he hasn't been to church in 30 years or something, but it is so obvious that everything about what he stands for and believes is imbued with this very Christian. They're not Christian. They'd say they're not. And I think it is something more universal than that, which that too is this funny thing where it's like, Oh, you could say they're, not Christians, this kind of American lazy whatever attitude, or you could say like, oh, it's more like uh, it's more like Julia Savola, you know? It's this, it's they're they're like a they're like a very low key version of um, perennialism because they're not merely Christian, but rather trying to tap into this bigger idea. Uh, I, I kind of vibe mm-hmm. with it, and like um, anyway, I think I think that it's an under sort of talked about thing that they're so deeply religious even though they don't they say the dark carnival and their mythos is not a religion in and of itself the religious fervor behind the music mm. i think is entirely real uh, you know i don't know what this panic attack that he had was but uh, you know maybe he's exaggerating the specificity of the vision and the things he saw in the past tense but i basically you know i'm a union in my outlook i basically think it's all real you know whatever he thinks he's mm. channel whatever he thinks he's channeling is indeed an idea much bigger than himself you know he he mm-hmm. maybe he undersells himself obviously there is a kind of genius to icp and violent j in particular and their business acumen yeah like, you know he he will always be the first to kind of describe himself as like a just a scrub and an idiot whatever uh i i think he's yeah. smarter than that but you know he's not he's not fucking bill shakespeare but i think that uh a lot of the more spiritual depths that icp plums into um i do think there's genuine sophistication too and i think basically what i'm saying is like i vibe i vibe with this element of icp that people make fun of and i think it is something much bigger than themselves this in a very uh abstract way ties into the meme thing you're talking about i mean this is obviously a lot of their memes are just kind of funny stuff about banging your friend's mom or whatever but then there there is there is that religious um, we're all kind of going to be saved element yeah. to it. And I specifically vibe with it creatively. It's like so many people in artistic communities, obviously not even to get started on like the quote unquote literary community, you know, would be, would shrug off ICP as like trashy, but like the degree to which he, and they, they make later songs about this too. There's a song called found from their 2015 album that I, found myself surprisingly moved by, you know, when I listened to it the other day, uh, he really feels like his life's mission was to do insane clown posse. And that it was a gift from God 
both that his career ended up as successful as it was and also the messages they're trying to convey. He thinks he's channeling that. And again, being somewhat union and universalist in my outlook, I think it's I think it's real. I think the dark carnival is real. <laughs> and um, Interesting. You know, a lot of the moral lessons are, um, you know, kind of the, the going after bigots, the going after rich boys, even the going after pedophile stuff, which is common going after wife beaters. That's all pretty boilerplate morality. So I'm not necessarily talking about that as like some serious message from God, but I do think that um, the creative explosion of ICP and the way the the energy they've had for 30 years is absolutely aspirational, absolutely ties into my own understanding of spirituality and what it's all about, especially as, as an artist. Um, and uh yeah basically just that it's aspirational and very real um for violent j obviously very real for a lot of juggalos uh and um yeah i dig it i think that's really all i'm trying to say yeah i mean it it is like the story of the artist right you get a a vision and you do your best to transcribe it into existence and breathe life into it yeah and um yeah, sometimes, I think uh, sometimes you're right, not uh, yeah. Sometimes, yeah, yeah. Sometimes you, you're uh, here, you know, and, and other times you're ICP. And like, yes, we can, you know, not all culture is created the same. There's good reasons to, you know, maybe not listen to ICP. I'm not saying everyone should. I just think it's authentic. I think that it's authentic. It's an authentic response to a certain upbringing and social strata. I do think its message is genuinely positive. I think, uh, you know, you hear a lot, uh, Violent J talks about it and you hear jugglers about it, that like this stuff saved their life. I think it's all real. You know, I'm not an evangelical Christian either. Uh, I have my own issues with, you know, to an extent with, with some of that, you know, uh, theology, I guess. Uh, but I believe it's absolutely real, you know, and I believe it has a salvific, uh, power. So we're down with the clown. Yeah. 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 And I, I know it's a, it's a kind of a weird fit for new, right. Perhaps. And um, maybe we alienated some audience members or, or maybe we made some's day. I do think there's a lot more people who at least remember digging them at some point than meets the eye. And uh, I think this was a, a good episode. Yeah. And it was, uh, it was really emotional. My, my tears were like a, a, a joy, a peace. It just felt like this big, huge load been lifted off of my shoulders like a weight and i was real happy i was crying but i was crying because i was so happy i believe there's magic in pyramids stone hands crop circles and black eyed kids ghosts i've seen about 10 myself you could attribute it all to my mental health but i don't want to fear death and i don't want to fear hell i want to sleep at night knowing my soul is well i'm not an atheist i believe in the magic this career i believe god let me have it i found my missing and I'm shining, others still trying the hill they're climbing. I know my soul is content and free. How could I have worried when I hold the key? How could I not see the planets glow? Wildlife grows and rivers flow. Whatever was missing before, it ain't missing now. And it hit me like pow.
about a dragon with my quick hand. I found my link and I damn sure locked it in. It ain't ever getting dropped again. So lift that darkness off my eyes. So much color burst through the skies. 86 shades in a purple sunrise. I'm safe, kid. I tell no lies. Night ain't scary when you don't fear death. And you can't suffocate when you don't need breath. I'm chilling so hard that fire can't fade me. Cause I'm good with the one who made me. I never wanna not be good with God And let the devil come and pull your card Everything that was missing, it ain't missing now And it hit me like search for that piece, I'd search for it in the bottles, alcohol, I'd search for it in needles, I'd search for it in drugs, I'd search for it with women, I'd search for it with all types of places. But there was no peace in my life. But once I accept my Savior, I was no longer a